The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This morning, we're going to talk about idols. When we hear the word idol, our first thought may be of a statue made in the image of some pagan god that someone might worship. Or, when we hear the word idol, we may think of it in more of a pop culture sense, of a public figure whom certain people especially adore, admire, or are devoted to. Think Donny Osmond back in the day. Am I right? <laughs> but this morning we're going to be talking about the idols that Jesus is most concerned with, which are the idols of the heart. Pastor and author Timothy Keller explains that an idol of the heart is something besides Jesus that we feel we must have to be happy. Something besides Jesus we feel we must have to be happy. Something that is more important in our heart than God. And Keller suggests rightly that at the root of every sin is an idol. So one could even say that idolatry is the basic human problem. The basic problem for us all. Idols of the heart are what hinders the life of God and his kingdom in our lives. Though unfortunately, our idols are also 
too powerful for us to overcome. But the good news is that what is impossible for man is possible with God. The good news is that God can give us the faith we need to cast down our idols so we can receive from him that which is exponentially better than anything our idols could ever deliver. In his book on idolatry called Counterfeit Gods, Keller tells the story of a single woman that he and his wife knew. Now this woman desperately, desperately wanted to have children. Eventually, she married, though a bit later than in life. And despite being up in years, this woman named Anna, she had not one but two healthy children. So Anna's dream came true. But once she had these children, her dream then morphed from not just having kids, but wanting kids who are perfect. Kids with perfect lives. Therefore, she had a tendency to, out of that impulse, to be overprotective. She seemed to have the need to control every detail of her children's lives. And all of this made her family downright miserable. When Anna's oldest child did poorly in school, she couldn't accept this and would punish the child emotionally. When the child began showing signs of serious emotional problems, Keller put two and two together. He believed it was related to this. On the other hand, Keller observed that her younger child was filled with anger. Was Keller saw it, her idol of having children that had become an idol of having perfect children, it was ironically leading to the ruin of her children. Her fear of having less than perfect kids, kids that didn't live up to her ideal, was crushing her kids. This is just one example of the way our, the idols of our hearts hinder God's kingdom purposes for our lives and perhaps even the lives of those whom we have authority over. And yet our idols are also too powerful for us to overcome. Right? Anna's fear of having less than perfect kids was far too powerful for her to overcome on her own. But the good news is that, we, that in God we can find the faith we need to cast down our idols that we might receive from him that which is exponentially better than anything our idols could deliver. This morning's gospel passage from Mark describes Jesus' encounter with the rich young man, as he's come to be known. It's a fairly well-known story, probably because it has led to many questions or debates over Jesus' directive to this man sell everything, everything he has, and give it to the poor and follow Jesus. There have been not, no small number of debates over the extent that this directive to this, that man applies to any of us who also seek to follow Jesus. But what is often missed is that this passage is about idolatry. 
When the man runs up to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies in verse 19 saying, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Well, the man declares, teacher, I've kept all these since I was a boy. But Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, but one thing you lack. See, notice Jesus had begun by listing commandments 5 through 9 of the Ten Commandments, which this man hadn't broken, right? This man had successfully avoided murdering anyone. He'd successfully avoided having an affair or perjuring himself in a court proceeding. But what he seems to have paid little mind to were the first two commandments, which are about idolatry. As we recited this morning, the first two commandments, God said, You shall have no other gods before me. And number two, you shall not make for yourself any idol. And yet that is precisely what this man had done, in his case, with money and possessions. So when Jesus invites the man to put, you know, put following this idol... You know, put, put, excuse me, put following Jesus above this idol. Verse 22 says that when the man heard this, his face fell. He went away sad. This man walked away from Jesus' invitation to follow him. Quote, because he had great wealth. And so this idol of wealth keeps him from receiving eternal life kept him out of the kingdom life Jesus was inviting him into. I don't know about you, but whenever I read or hear this story, I just want to jump in a time machine and go tell this guy to reconsider, please, to remind him that he can't take these riches he loves so much with him. And yet, if an encounter with the Son of God himself wasn't enough for this man, I'm not sure why I'd be able to persuade him either. And yet, it's tempting, right, to kind of say, man, what a a fool. But if we don't see ourselves in this man, then we're missing the point. Because this story of the rich young man gives us a picture of what we are doing every time we turn to our idols for happiness in lieu of following the way of Jesus. John Calvin famously said the human heart is an idol factory. We can make an idol out of anything. Very skilled at this, right? we humans. Right? We can idolize money, like this man, or we can idolize sex. We can idolize our nation. We can idolize food, work, physical health, marriage, our family, our kids, sports, a hobby, our favorite sports team, a political party, a political ideology, some addictive substance, right? We, and we usually don't limit ourselves to just one. But this list could go on, right? 
you'll notice also that plenty of the things I just listed are good things, right? Family, right? Our kids, like this lady Anna we're talking about. And our story beginning in, from the beginning about Anna, it's good to want our children to live happy and fulfilled lives. But for Anna, this had become an idol that caused her to essentially act as her children's God, right? Trying to control every move. And it prevented her from accepting their humanity, that humans make mistakes. Humans aren't perfect, right? So even good things, if we put them above faith in God, will hinder God's kingdom purposes. And the greater the idol for us, the greater it will be an obstruction to God's life in us. So you may be sitting there wondering then, or asking the Lord to show you, you know, what could be an idol in your heart that's most hindering God's kingdom in your life? This can be difficult to identify. So helpfully, Keller offers four questions to assist us in identifying what has maybe eclipsed God in our lives the most. So I want to take just a few moments to guide us through those questions, those four questions. You might even find it helpful to close your eyes, though you don't have to. But number one, ask yourself, what is my greatest nightmare? Is there something that could happen, but that if it happened, it wouldn't just cause me grief, but it would make life almost unlivable? Is there anything like that that comes to mind for you? Well, if an answer bubbles up, this may point to an idol that even if it's not taken away from us, right, may cause serious dysfunction in our lives. That's number one. What's our greatest nightmare? Number two, what do I rely on or comfort myself with when things go badly or become difficult? What do I comfort myself with when things are hard? Now, it's not necessarily wrong to comfort, to seek comfort in the things of creation. But when it goes outside the boundaries of what God says is good for us, it may be, and likely is, an idol. Number three, let's ask ourselves, what in my life makes me feel the most self-worth? What am I proudest of in my life? If I had to just state it, what I am most proud of in my life. Well, the question there is, am I finding my self-worth in that, that identity, that achievement? Am I finding my self-worth in that in lieu of finding my worth in being a beloved child of God? Because if I am, that's an idol, right? Finally, the fourth question is what do I really want and expect out of life? What would really make me happy? 
What would really make me happy if I could just say, For Anna, it was having children whom everybody thought were the cat's meow, right? Everybody thought, wow, those are some great kids, right? Ask yourself, what is it for me? You see, I would imagine that from these four questions, that any of us could discover, discover an idol or two. But in order to grasp why our idols could cause such damage in our lives, we need to understand a little more deeply how idols function in our hearts. For example, Keller suggests that for Anna, having perfect children was all about her need to feel worthwhile and valuable herself, right? She derived her self-worth from how her children reflected on her. Well, Keller suggests that underneath the surface of any idol in our lives, no matter what it is, anything on that list or not on that list, he says there will be one of four different impulses motivating the idol. It'll either be a pursuit of power, a pursuit of approval, the pursuit of comfort, or the pursuit of control. Power, approval, comfort, or control. One or some combination of those will be underneath any idol in our lives. And in the case of the rich young man, we actually don't know which of these underlies his idolization of wealth, do we? For example, his motivation could be power. Right? Perhaps having a lot of money makes the rich young man feel better than other people and gives him actually power and influence over others. He doesn't want to give up. Or his love of money could be motivated by a desire for approval. Perhaps spending lavishly on a fancy home or expensive clothes gives him access to certain social circles or impresses people. On the other hand, his idol of wealth may be motivated by comfort. Perhaps his money allows him to fund some addictive behaviors, for example. Finally, his idol may give him a sense of control in life. It may protect him against a fear of not having enough, right? So he's his own provider instead of God, right? Control, that idol guarding against a fear of not having food or shelter. Or it may allow him to control other people. It can blur with power in that way. Incidentally, folks who love money for reasons of control are gonna be stingy with their money and tend towards saving it. Where folks who love money for the approval or comfort it provides tend to be big spenders, and overspenders. So you see, you can have the same idol, wealth in that case, and it can look totally disparate ways, totally different ways. But what these underlying symptoms reveal is that we're, what we look for in our idols is what God wants us to entrust him for. After all, whose power should we trust in? Not our own, but the power of God Almighty, who's not just powerful, but good, who loves us, uses his power for good in our life. Whose complete approval is always there for us to receive? God in Christ. 
who's bestowed on us the gift of the Holy Spirit as our comforter to guide us into godly ways of being comforted when things are hard. God. And who promises to provide for us everything that we need if we'll give up control to him and seek first his kingdom? The Lord does. The answer to all these is God. These idols of our hearts that constrain the life of God and his kingdom in our lives, the ones that do it the most, let's be honest, they are forces that are too powerful for us to overcome. Chances are, as if you kind of took those questions earlier seriously and really identified a, a real idol, your chance of overcoming that on your own, in your own power, like maybe for a short amount of time, you're, you have no chance of overcoming in your own power and sustain, for a sustained length of time. The good news, though, is that God can give us the faith we need right, to shift that need onto him so that we can cast down these idols that we might receive from him what is exponentially better for us than anything our idols could give all the false things they promise. Maybe understanding those deep motives, though, kind of that underlie the idols, illuminates why we are completely helpless to do anything about them. Right? Jesus' commentary in verse 23, as he, he and his disciples watched the man walk away, so sad, his commentary is how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Right? For those trusting in this idol of wealth, and that edges Jesus, edges God out of their lives. Down in verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I know people have tried to interpret that verse in all sorts of creative ways to kind of take the punch out of it. But this is Jesus' way of saying, a figure of speech saying, it is impossible. It is impossible for you to overcome your idols yourself. So verse 26 says, his disciples then were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So if it is so impossible for us, for this rich man to have overcome that idol on his own, what should he have done? I mean, it's easy to say, well, he should have followed Jesus, but we're saying, no, that's actually, if that was a really the strongest idol in his life, probably impossible, right? So what should he have done? Well, some of you may remember a few weeks ago that we looked at the story of a demonized boy in Mark 9 whom Jesus' disciples couldn't help. But do you remember what the boy's father said after Jesus told him that everything is possible for the one who believes? Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You see, the antidote to believing an idol, a counterfeit God, can meet our needs for approval or comfort or help us thrive in this world where we have so little power or control. The antidote for that 
is believing in the one who can truly do all that for us, right? Not just believing in him generally, as we probably all do here, believing in him on that issue, in that area, right? That's what we need. We need faith in that, faith about that. So the antidote to idolatry, what, what the man should have done is said, I believe this rich man. I believe enough that I've come up to ask you, but help my unbelief, because I can't get there. We need his help to trust him more, you see? So in a moment, this is what I'm going to invite us to do. To, I'm just going to invite us in prayer to take whatever idol of the heart you believe is wreaking the most havoc in your life, and to just get honest with God about it, Right? And I'm actually not even asking you to necessarily give it up, right? Because you may not be there. Right? This might just mean saying, God, I am struggling to believe that I can surrender this idol to you and be okay. I'm struggling. I'm not, I'm not there. I, don't, I, I, I hear Father John. I, I see the scripture, but my heart's not there. I've relied on that idol so long for so much. I'm struggling to believe, but I believe enough to talk to you. I believe enough to ask you to help my unbelief. So that might be one response. Or maybe our faith is a little stronger on this idol. God's identified, it's causing tremendous damage, and we're done with it, right? We're ready to be done. We want to repent and let him begin to teach us to look how to look to him for whatever that idol's been doing for us, in whatever way it's been serving us. And we're willing to follow him wherever he might lead us to overcome this stronghold. If you are there today about an idol in your heart, if that's the case, maybe what you could do in prayer is commit to God, ask him to give you the courage to tell at least one other person about this. One other person that's safe in your life. Say, God's kind of showing me that this is an idol. And I don't, I don't want it in my life. I'm tired of what it does to me. We're never really serious about turning our back on sin until we're willing to confess it to another human being. Right? We can confess it here in the general confession all we want. Until we're willing to bring it in the light with another human being, we are BSing God. Forgive me. Right? We are. Right? But if we have just the willingness to just make ourselves accountable in that small way, not even telling the person to keep us accountable, just saying, I want you to know this, you know, pray for me, or... I just wanted to bring this in the light with a, a brother or sister in Christ. God can do a lot with that. It may still be a long journey, but God can do a lot with that. That can help God's transforming work of our hearts really get rolling. Before we pray, though, I just want to say that, friends, whatever idol it is, I can promise you, promise you, that it is worth whatever discomfort we may incur in that journey toward freedom, that journey to root it out. But don't take that from me. Take it from him. 
Our passage ends with Jesus promising, verse 29, Truly I tell you, he says, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, a right orientation with those, along with persecutions, it won't necessarily be easy, and in the age to come, a hundred times in the age to come, eternal life. Reminding us here, by naming all these good things that we could make an idol out of, Jesus is promising that if we trade that trust in an idol for trust in him, we will never regret it. Ever. That's an awesome promise. We won't ever regret it. This thing that you can't imagine not looking to for comfort. If you can partner with Jesus to go on the journey to root it out, you will never regret it. Why? Because there's no comparison to the life of his kingdom. Nothing in this world compares to walking more and more in his light and his power. And you know what? You're worth it. Right? You are worth it to not settle for that idol. He deemed you worth it when he went up on that cross. Although the idols in our hearts that inhibit the life of God's kingdom are too powerful for us to overcome, the good news is that God can give us the faith we need to cast down those idols, that we might receive from him what is exponentially better than anything our idolatry has ever delivered on. Will you pray with me? Lord, I think I can speak for people here and say we desire to place, we desire to align ourselves with your command and place no other God before you. But God, our hearts are masterful at fashioning idols. So we want to ask your help with this idol you've placed before us now. Maybe there's something you've brought before us and we're actually not quite sure yet if it's an idol. If that's the case, just commit right there to seeking wise counsel. Commit to God that you'll seek wise counsel to find out if it is an idol. You'll bring it into the light. Then some of us may know something's an idol, but we really can't imagine it not being as important to us as it is. If that's you, just ask the Lord to give you a vision for what it might even look like to give it up. A glimpse of how much better it would be. And tell him that you believe and to help your unbelief. Or finally, if we're ready to be done, if we're ready to be done, tell the Lord to help you to be willing to demonstrate that by confessing to another person so that God can use that seedling of accountability to begin diminishing that idol's power in your life, to begin that journey. Lord, help us to believe that you can replace 
any of our idols with something infinitely better. You, life with you, we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Amen.